You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. It is Tuesday, March the 22nd. It is beautiful here in TW11 this morning as we warm up for the first weekend of the flat turf season in the UK and, of course, all the delights of Dubai this weekend with Cheltenham just in our wing mirrors. Trainer Bob Baffert will be hoping for success in Dubai with Country Grammar, the Saudi Cup runner-up, but yesterday, last night, UK time, a Kentucky District Court judge denied Baffert's injunction to stay a 90-day suspension by the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission. Um, And that, of course, was um, the suspension incurred after Medina Spirit tested positive for betamethasone following his 2021 Kentucky Derby win, which he was officially stripped of last month. Uh, The judge did, however, agree to delay the start of the suspension to April the 4th. But what this really means, unless there is another judicial twist which falls in Baffert's favour, is that time is running out for horses currently in his barn to get into this year's Kentucky Derby. And if they want the points to do so under the qualifying system, they're going to need to be moving um, pretty rapidly. And we'll be keeping an eye on that story in the weeks leading up to the Kentucky Derby. Later in this edition, I'll be speaking to Jake Warren from High Clear Stud in association with our friends at Weatherby's about getting into the peak breeding season, the challenge of standing two stallions and supporting them, and also the many hats that he wears for a number of different global thoroughbred operations. But first of all, news from Cheltenham, and that is that Honeysuckle, our dual champion hurdle heroine, who may yet face Constitution Hill at Punchestown, will be kept in training for a third champion hurdle bid, but at this stage, not for a fourth, because she would then be retired to stud. But we get to see her again, David Yates from the Daily Mirror, which is good news. Yes, it is good news. I I must admit that over the months and last couple of years, Nick, I I haven't thought about Honeysuckle's retirement. I've thought about the day that she'll be beaten. I suppose we've all uh, contemplated that. But yeah, this is quite an interesting one. I mean, um, five horses, according to my records, have won the champion hurdle three times. So Honeysuckle would be the sixth. She'd certainly be the first mare. She's already the first mare to win the champion hurdle more than once. Um, I thought that at Cheltenham last Tuesday, and I've, I've not done an NLD since last Tuesday, so it's a, a good opportunity to have a quick chat about that. I, I thought that although the winning margin of three and a half lengths was, what, three lengths less than 12 months ago when she beat her charger, I thought that was the performance from Honeysuckle that really... I, that must have uh, a, a phrase that's used quite a lot on social media in, in the racing community silenced the doubters, mustn't it? Um, it, it seemed that she showed a, a, a sharper burst of speed at Cheltenham uh, a week ago than I'd seen from her before. I think that by common agreement, that was a, a stronger champion hurdle than had been staged in 2021. I know appreciate it didn't really come up to market expectations last week, but I thought that that was, that, that was the performance from, uh, from Honeysuckle in beating Epitont that um, impressed me most of all. And 
that means that she's now 15 from 15. I don't know about retiring her next year. You know what I'd do if I were Kenny Alexander? Go on, tell me. I think I would leave talk about retirement, get to next year when she's nine, see if she can win another one, and then I'd think about a, a, a groundbreaking, history-making fourth win in the champion hurdle. I mean, you can think about it, can't you? You don't have to uh, come out with it publicly. But remember that Isterbrack would, well, was a, an odds-on favourite for a fourth champion hurdle in 2001 when foot and mouth intervened. Uh, he was actually a, a favourite the following year but was pulled up. But um, I think I'd, 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 I'd keep that just close to my chest, I think go for next year and then say to Henry de Bromhead, right, she's going to be 10 years old next year. How do you feel about going for, going for not a share in the record books, but a, a place of her own? Of course, that reckons without Constitution Hill, the horse that uh, has been the subject of a, a clash between the a subject of talk about a clash between these two in the coming mm. what weeks and months, which would also be very interesting. Uh, David Yates is the um, is the racing equivalent of Winnie the Pooh. Can't get enough honey. I asked Peter Maloney, racing manager to Kenny Alexander, whether retirement after next year had been a long-term plan. I think so. I think, uh, yeah, sort of nine was the was the sort of aim, to, you know, because, you know, what we wanted, in, you know, Kenny, want Kenny to enjoy her f- fully as a racehorse, you know. Um, you know, there's also that little thing in the back of your mind with Lover, you know, as a, as a broodmare as well. So um, we thought sort of nine was the optimum time, really. And I'm guessing, well, I don't want to be presumptuous or lead the witness. I'm guessing that's as much about trying to create some sort of legacy for her as much as it is a, a commercial decision. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think, well, you know, as I say, you know, she's, she was initially bought as a racehorse and, um, you know, she's, um, thankfully turned out to be a pretty good racehorse. So, um, I think, you know, Kenny would like to enjoy her for as long as possible, really. Um, and, um, you know, that's a lot of it, you know, uh, yeah, you do, you do sort of sit back and dream. I mean, this time last year, I think I talked to you and we were sitting back dreaming possibly of going over fences and, and, um, and, uh, emulating Don Run, but we, we shelved that and, and you know, this is the next game really we just love to I mean wouldn't it be amazing if she if she could win three champion hurdles, but that's a long way off. And we've got a rather large mountain or hill to climb before uh, before that. Well you may have a, a large hill to climb at Punchestown if Constitution Hill does 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 turn up there. Um you must have given it quite a bit of thought, and I, I suppose what I'm interested in, and, and what I was sort of trying to chat to Henry about the other day on my on my Sunday show on Racing TV was um, the the extent to which she could she could produce a performance yet better, granted an even better opponent. I suppose what would I was trying to play the race in my mind to see how it might go. Have you done that? Uh, several times already. <laughs> several times. Um, but uh, yeah, listen. Uh, yeah, we've all we, we've all, we've all got the inkling that there's a little, there might be, uh, there's probably a little bit more um, in honeysuckle. Um, I mean, what she's achieved is uh, is unbelievable, and it, it's um, 
It'd be a little bit unfair to ask her for more, but uh, there's an inkling there that there is a little bit more. She's, you know, she quickens and she puts the race to bed, and then she idles. I mean, I was even I was watching Chairman Hurl again last night, um, and after the last, you know, she quickened away again, and then the last hundred yards, she started idling again. She was pulling herself up again. You know, she's so. I I think you know this. Who knows? But there definitely seems to be, you know, she only ever does enough and there seems to be a little, there might be just a little bit more in there, I think. And the thing with her is that it, it's, she can do things wrong, wrong, wrong is the, the wrong word, I suppose, but she can do things that aren't exactly orthodox in a race, I suppose, would be a better way of putting it, and she'll still win. And so you think, well, how much is she actually exerting herself? How much is she actually putting into these races? What's your take on that? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, we've all said it before, you know, she can, she can win on fast ground, soft ground, off a fast pace, off a slow pace, she, you know, she can go up the inside, around the outside, you know, <laughs> she's just an absolute dream, and, you know, listen, Rachel's got it right every time as well, touch wood, and uh, I'm sure she always will, you know, it's just an incredible team, incredible team. And just, just spending a little bit of time the, the day before Cheltenham when she was out there having a pick of grass with, with Zoe who was leading her around and she turned around to her and said, it's a good job, you're good. I mean, she's clearly she's clearly got quite a bloody-minded streak to her, hasn't she? Oh, she's a real prima donna, yes. But, you know, especially when she's in training and facing, ready ready for battle. Um, but, you know, as I think I said to you before, when she's at home in the summer, relaxed in the paddock, she's an absolute sweetie and she can she'll come up for a cuddle you know she'll put her head in your lap so um um but uh she knows she's good i think she knows she's good um have you got a stallion in mind for her oh god uh yeah she'll be plenty but we won't talk about that quite yet no we won't talk about it quite yet I don't suppose it'll be too. I suppose it'll be too 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 difficult a decision when you get round to it. Well, I mean, I guess there are, there's a couple that will just present themselves fairly obviously. I, I'd say so. I'd say so. And, and with her breeding as well, you know, she's an outcross for all sorts of things. So um, yeah, it sh- hopefully it shouldn't be the. But again, you're a breeder. You know, these things are not straightforward, and she has to go and fall and hold the foal and you know produce the foal, and you know, so it's all it's a long. But we'll be dreaming, we'll be dreaming, you know. Uh, Fastwell Vega has really, um, you know, there's always been this sort of, um, this uh, perceived wisdom that these top mares can't become top mares, um, or top root mares, but, um, yeah, Covega's proven that wrong, Tom, so it adds an extra layer to the dream. Well, if you were asking me whether I'd rather have Honeysuckle to breed from or a selling plater, I think I know what the answer is. Um <laughs> Just as regards punches down itself, um, do you see that as a fairly sort of straightforward run in as before? Uh, yeah, listen, touch wood. Yes, um, I mean that's really not my department. That's Henry's, and uh, he's done everything perfectly up to now. So I ain't going to question him. And uh, he's um, yeah. So hopefully, you know, all going well. That's 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 where we're going, and that's where we'll be in, at the end of April. And and how's tell me something girl after that horrid fall last week? Yeah, um, yeah. Henry said she was a little bit stiff and sore the following day. Feeling a little bit sorry for herself, but she's moving really well now. And um, 
Um, yeah, no, she seems okay. Thanks for the God. Um, it was uh, that's racing bars down, crashing back to words fairly quickly, but uh, um, and she seemed to be traveling very well on the day. I know Marie's Rock has just improved all season and is a top class mare in her own right, but I think we probably would have fancied her chances, certainly being involved in the finish. So, um, she's a very exciting lady as well. Peter Maloney, there, racing manager, a honeysuckles owner, Kenny Alexander, looking forward to seeing her. Uh, punches down. Dave Yates is still with me. Dave, any other loose ends you want to tidy up from Cheltenham? We've spoken quite a bit, but if, is there anything that, that you feel needs an airing? Uh, well, it's, it's the, the last time I'll talk about it before we put, finally put Cheltenham to bed. Pretty much the obvious ones. Obviously, Apple time, the Gold Cup was amazing. Um, the my my favourite image of the week, I think, was was Danny Mullins aboard the the shoulders of the the members of the Flooring Porter Syndicate and their friends, because I think there are only four members of that syndicate. Um, <laughs> him uh, being held aloft after that race. I, I, I don't see why Danny Mullins doesn't get more rides. According to my records, that's now 17 grade one wins in Britain and Ireland in his career. Still, not one of them has been aboard a favourite. Um, he picks up the second and the third scraps. Now, as, as we've reflected, picking up the scraps when Willie Mullins is the head chef isn't exactly a, a hardship. But I think he's not only a, a, an exceptional human being, but I think he's an extremely good jockey as well, uh, Danny Mullins. And finally, I've just mentioned the fifth day. I spoke to somebody who would know, having been close to the BHA for many years, uh, about that. And uh, I was expressing my, uh, my, my negative thoughts about that. And they said, well, it's locked in. It's a done deal. So I suspect that whilst Ian Renton said it will be a four-day festival in 2023, I suspect we'll be looking at five days the year after that, unfortunately, in my view. Okay, presumably that's someone close to the jockey club, is it? Uh, it is someone... Well, I can't... I, I, I don't want to be. I don't want to give their identity away. I'm certainly not going to do that. But it was someone who worked in racing administration for many years. You don't want to give his or her identity away? No, I don't want to give their their uh, their identity. Their identity. Okay, let's talk about um, Paul Nichols briefly, shall we? Um, well, I was going to say winnerless at the Challenge Festival, but he ended up hardly having any runners, to be honest. Um, he's gearing himself up for Aintree, uh, coming out all guns blazing. We've we've seen this movie before, haven't we? And we know how it ends. Uh, yes, we have, and it and it ends with Paul Nichols winning another uh, trainers' championship. Yeah, it was a it was a. It was disappointing that we didn't see Brave Man's game amid the, uh, the the rain that fell at Cheltenham on Wednesday. Paul Nichols said beforehand that he wouldn't have a strong presence at the Cheltenham Festival. Obviously, that was denuded further by uh, all, all the uh, non-runners from Ditchit during the week. And yeah, I mean, I think he I think he said to you, didn't he, that he would be the one laughing if. Uh, the likes of Nicky Henderson, Dan Skelton had run their horse at Cheltenham and he's, he had some fresh jumpers for the Grand National meeting. So that's going to be the plan. Brave Man's game, I think, is, gonna, is going to head uh, the team. And we saw what happened last year. He had, you know, one thing that you've got to give Nichols and people would say, well, it's, it's a shame that the champion trainer doesn't have a, a representation or a strong representation at the Cheltenham Festival. But... He predicted last year, or, or he mapped out his plans for a strong Aintree, and didn't he get one? You know, so it's likely, as you say, we've seen this film before, um, mm. the, the, the horses that uh, didn't 
go to Cheltenham. Of course, we've got the likes of Clondis Oboe as well, who, who was never going to run there, uh, who was the, the runaway winner of, of the three-miler at, at, uh, at Aintree last year. And so, yeah, we'll see, a, I'm sure, a rash of, of digit winners there. And, and that should be enough to get Paul Nichols over the line for another trainer's title. Is that number 13? It will be. It might be even more than that. It, no, it will be number It will be number 13. I've introduced him enough times this season as 12 times champion trainer. He's never corrected me. So he's either too modest or I've been getting it right. Um, I think you've been getting it right. Yeah, so do I. Um, now, let's hope Ian McMahon can get it right. Dave, who is Ian McMahon? Ian McMahon is the new chief executive of the Professional Jockeys Association. As we know, he replaces Paul Struthers, who did some amazing work uh, for that body, uh, which I think was unrecognisable uh, from the one that, that he had taken the helm of, what, roughly a decade earlier. Um, Ian McMahon is a former professional footballer. Uh, fans of Oldham Athletic and Rochdale uh, will be familiar with some of his work. I think he, he retired in his early 20s from injury. He's worked in a, 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 a range of different sports, most recently in golf. Uh, this is his first job in racing, and he's got a tough act to follow in Paul Struthers. I, I, I bow to no one in, in my admiration of what Paul Struthers did for the Professional Jockeys Association. Um, it, he, was, he was made to fall on his sword I think or he fell on his sword um, at the end of the initial uh, hearing uh, into the, the the bullying between Robbie Dunn and Bryony Frost but it, the work that he did for the PJI I think was astounding and so in that sense Ian McMahon has a very tough uh, act to follow he's due to take over on uh, he's due to take over on April the 11th now the hearing into the or the appeal Robbie Dunn's appeal uh, against the, uh, the the findings of the initial inquiry the, the, which ended in December of course and um, that takes place next Wednesday so it may be that that is over by the time that Ian McMahon uh, takes his seat or maybe the, the two might just overlap slightly. Uh, and lots going on this weekend, uh, beginning of the flat turf season. The Brockles be the first race for two-year-olds. I know you always used to love uh, betting in two-year-old races, Dave. Um, the Lincoln, of course. Harry Davis booked for Godolphin and, and Charlie Appleby. So we've got another um, star apprentice booked on a favourite in that race. Uh, of course, Appleby's attentions will be chiefly focused on Dubai, where Yabir will be his turf star in the Shima Classic, his Breeders' Cup turf winner. And then, of course, we got the World Cup itself. We spoke to Laura King about that yesterday, and we're focusing on it more during the course of the uh, the shows this week. Uh, what are you most looking forward to seeing this weekend? I think I'm most looking forward to the Lincoln. Really, um, I love the start of the flat season. I love watching the two-year-olds in the Brocklesby too. Um, the Lincoln is an interesting race, as we would expect, as you say. Uh, Harry Davies is riding modern news for Charlie Appleby. Remember, Benoit de Lassayette uh, won this race for John Gosden last season. Mudge Taba is unbeaten for William Haggis, who's bidding to win this race for a record fifth time. Interestingly, um, Notre Belle Bet of Andrew Baldings, running in the colours of King Power and ridden by David Probert. I suspect that if, if David Probert isn't going to be named as their... Uh, as their retained jockey very soon, then he at least have that, will have that role de facto. 
And uh, I, for one, I'm looking forward to seeing him uh, ride lots of winners in those colours. I, th- I think he's still an underrated talent, David Pro, but I think he's one of the very best jockeys. I think I would, I would put him without question in uh, the very top bracket of flat jockeys riding in this country. As you say, we've got Dubai too. We've got a, a fairly... Um, meagre representation this year, at least according to the, the anti-post lists in the Dubai World Cup. William Haggis runs Grocer Jack. Old-timers will remember that song. Uh, from Was that from the Teenage Opera? And uh, Real World is, is interesting in a, a way for Saeed Bin Sraw, who's won this race so many times, disappointed in... Um, the Saudi Cup, but price that was progressive. The horse that, that, that takes my eye on the card, though, Nick, is in the Dubai turf and that's Saffron Beach. Uh, Jane Chappelheim finally got her first career Group 1 when this horse won the Kingdom of Bahrain at Sun Chariot Stakes at Newmarket in October. And I, I, and having interviewed Jane at the start of last year, I think between the Guineas and the Oaks, she said that she was looking forward to going uh, round the world with this uh, now four-year-old filly in 2022. And this is the start of the story. Uh, Holly Doyle takes them out and uh, I'll be looking out for Sa- Saffron Beach and I'll certainly be cheering her on in the Dubai turf. That's at Maidan at 3.20 on Saturday. Well, it's Tuesday, so we go around the bloodstock world with our good friends at Weatherby's, their global stallion app and their stallion book, in which you can find a brace of stallions standing at High Clear Stud. But High Clear is about so much more than those two stallions. Indeed, it is synonymous with racing in Britain and now around the world. And I'm really pleased to check in with Jake Warren uh, this morning. Jake, uh, on the cusp of the flat season, beginning an exciting time of the year, uh, you're having foals born, you're starting to cover mares. Life is good at, at High Clear, especially on a day like this, but it's a place steeped in a, a rich history with horse racing. Tell me where it all began. Morning, Nick. Um, well, where did it all begin? Um, it began, well, it's been in the family, uh, Nick, as you know, the Highclere estate is, um, is, a, is a family estate. Um, and actually my great, great grandfather, the fifth Earl of Carnarvon, he was the one that uh, identified the plot of land on the Highclere estate uh, for the horses. It was actually, it used to be a, a, where the, he kept the cattle. Um, so this lovely uh, chalk ground, very um, nice protection from from the wind and the rain with some lovely hills either side. And uh, he, uh, he was very keen on breeding horses and uh, he took a view that the cattle could move elsewhere and he'd, he'd lay the stud down um, for his racing interests and, and breeding interests. So he, he did that in 1902. So. You know, 120 years ago, um, this place was was laid out as a stud farm, and it's relatively um, remarkably unchanged uh, since then. I mean, the, the topography of the land, the paddocks have 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 all um, fundamentally been been structured around the design from from back then. So we, it's a wonderful place to be. I, I actually stare at him every day. He's buried on the top of Beacon Hill, which is directly a, across from the office. Um, and interestingly, he's buried vertically because he wanted to see he wanted to see the castle and the stud. Um, and so it's rather interesting. He's always keeping an eye on us. But um, yeah, no, it's look, it's it's been a very historical place, and it's a, a place that one's privileged to be part of. His um, his son, the the sixth Earl of Carnarvon, um, after the Second World War, he stood various stallions here. The most successful of which was Queen Cesar, who was the sire of Brigadier Gerard. 
And then um, my grandfather, the seventh Earl, he stood homing and shrewd. Uh, he stood two derby winners. He stood Troy and, and Tenoso. And then um, after he died, he left a stud farm to my mother. Um, and my mother and father, who um, were, were in Newmarket at the time, then then moved down to Highclere Stud and uh, took over the reins in 2001. Um, and they brought with them Dr. Fong, um, an officio, who they were standing down there at the time. And then my father, when I started in 2009, um, a couple of years later, we bought Paco Boy, um, who obviously was the sire of Galileo Gold, um, which is a very exciting moment for everybody. Um, and uh, and then Cable Bay, we, we bought a few years later, and, and most recently Landforce. So, you know, it's, it's an amazing place to be. It's a sort of, you know, steeped in, in history. And I suppose, from my point of view, you've got to make sure I keep the show on the road. Well, this is it. I was going to ask you about that feeling of responsibility, because what the what your your great great grandfather wasn't to know was what sort of level of enthusiasm his his descendants w- would have when you have a moment for example like galileo gold winning a winning a 2000 guineas do you cast a glance at the vertical earl and say phew i can do it um i think look like all things you you there's a, a tremendous sigh of relief when you breed a good horse because um, there's so much effort and time that goes into the whole process. Um, as you pointed out, we're in the thick of the breeding season at the moment. We're covering five mares a day, give or take, with the stallions. We're sending mares off to Ireland and France. And, you know, it's lovely weather today. It might not be tomorrow. And it's it's a pretty tough grind. And, um, you know, those moments where on for two and a half minutes in a, in a Group 1 race, you're thinking, is this going to happen? Um it's quite hard to sort of to bottle that up and 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 keep it because it's such a sort of rarity in a way. But um, I think there there is an element of responsibility. You know, mum and dad have bred some wonderful horses um, recently, um, and we've been involved in helping some fantastic clients breed lovely horses. You know, Camelots of this world and Spones, and um, obviously recently Palace Pier. You know, there is a a level of expectation, but I think. You know, I think it, what's important in places like this is one tries to maintain the level of standards and uh, maintain the structure of what's happened over the years and not try and tweak it too much so that, you know, you end up with hopefully a very consistent, um, you know, grassland, a consistent set of management and hopefully you get rewarded over time with, with some nice horses. That's the best we can hope for. Um, tell me how the family dynamic works. How do your parents complement one another in, uh, and then work with you in driving the stud forward? Well, I mean, they've been a terrific team over the years. They're, you know, Mum has been very much on the uh, husbandry side of things, um, outside on the farm, dealing with the day-to-day issues of, you know, farrier work, vet work, um, land management, um, and it's got an incredible eye for detail in that department. And Dad, um, although incredibly capable in those departments as well, has, you know, taught me over the years um, about the business of, of breeding horses, which is, you know, two very different things. You know, when we're breeding horses commercially, you've got to be thinking three, four, five years down the line about how that stallion's going to be, uh, you know, seen as in the market. Um, you've got to be thinking about all of the, um, you know, commercial sides of, of breeding horses, because if you get that wrong, it's very difficult to keep going. It's an expensive business. So, 
you know, he's he's been instrumental in in the decision making on some of the the foundation mares that I've now inherited since I took over the farm twelve months ago, um, and they're both there, you know, in a wonderful way to support me. You know, any questions that I have, you know, what would you do in this situation? How did you deal with that situation? Um, and they've always been on the end of the phone, and they come in and they regularly still look at the stock here, which is you know terrific help. So we kind of. We all work very much together. We're all kind of on the end of the phone. The what the family WhatsApp group is pinging all the time, as you can imagine. And um, yeah, no, it's a you know it's a very it's a wonderful family business. I'm always fascinated by say a slightly smaller concern that wants to stand stallion. Say you're standing one, two, three, four, five, so whatever. We talk a lot to people from Dali, from Coolmore, from Judmont. When you're when you're looking to stand stallions just at maybe a couple or three stallions and you're looking to try and do that um, commercially and, and make a success of it, how do you try and craft your your niche in the market? What are you looking for? That's a really good question. And, and as you pointed out, you know, we're a small fish. You know, we're, we're playing in a, in a pool with a lot of uh, very big guys who've got much more firepower than us to buy um, high-class horses. So we've always had to look at it from a slightly different perspective you know which are the horses that we can identify that have come second in a couple of group ones um uh, but still got wonderful female families and still done things at two that are exciting and are still by top size i mean they're, they're few and far between you know they're very hard to find you know cable bay um he was a fantastic two-year-old but he, he was a bridesmaid two-year-old he kept coming second in all these important races and most notably second in the Jewhurst. Um, and I suppose had he won the Dewhurst, would we have been able to afford it? Uh, probably not. Um, but he went on to, to better things as he got older and he won the challenge stakes as, a, as an older horse, which is a group two at Newmarket. And, you know, thankfully we were able to secure him. But it, it does require out-of-the-box thinking. Um, but I suppose what, what makes it worthwhile from our point of view and what, you know, the, the crux of it all comes down to is that when we buy a stallion, we're kind of not really looking at it, although we're looking at it commercially because we think people will use them, we're looking at them actually as well in relation to our own broodmare band. We're sitting there thinking with, you know, the bones of 30 mares or so on the place, if we buy this horse, is he going to be the right horse for our broodmare band? Because when we get behind him, we'll send 50, 60% of the mares that we own to them in a given year. So we kind of, we look at it like we hope that they're going to be part of the broodmare band in a way. Um, and that's why, you know, when we bought Landforce, you know, we got stuck, we got stuck into him in the first year. I mean, I'm looking at the mares that we've got um, foaling this year. And, you know, we, we were sending mares that have, we sent subsequently to Frankel showcasing Wooden Bassett, Blue Point. We sent them all to, Frank, to Landforce in his first year because... We really want to support the horses that we have. We believe in, you know, rightly or wrongly, believe in our ability to select um, what we think are commercial stallions with good pedigrees, by top sires, good race records. And um, their confirmation is as such that we don't have any concerns about, you know, an incorrect offspring because we love buying lovely correct horses. And... So we kind of view it like that. We don't um, we don't take a, a, a broad brush approach to the stallions that we buy. We're incredibly rifle shot, um, 
it takes us a long time to find them because, you know, from an affordability perspective, one's got to duck and dive and, and do what you can to get the horses purchased at a sensible level to be able to make it work. But it's, you know, it's, it's truly about the belief that the horses that we stand, we think, um, have got the right capabilities of doing it. And I think, you know, Cable Bay was the champion first season sire um, recently, which was, which was wonderful. And has obviously got off to an incredible start at stud with, you know, he's had two group one horses in his first two years. And he's had, a, you know, a really, a really solid start to his stud career. And the best is yet to come because he's, he's got mares now covered at, you know, 15 grand coming through the system. And Land Force, when you look at his stats, which is really exciting, I mean, he was second only to two darn hot in terms of numbers of mares covered in this country for the first two years. In the first and second year, only two darn hot in his crop covered more mares. So, you know, I think the market like what we do. I think they like the fact that we get behind them and, you know, look, it's all a gamble, but I hope I hope it's a calculated one. Now, you wear many hats. Obviously, you're supporting High Clear Thoroughbred Racing as well, which has been run for so many years by your, your uncle, Harry Herbert. You've got some exciting horses for him. You're also heavily involved with um, Sheikh Issa's burgeoning operation, both in Bahrain and at home. Um, it's a lot to fit in, Jake. Which part of the business gives you the most satisfaction? God, that's a very difficult question, Nick. Um <laughs> Which part gives you the most satisfaction? Well, satisfaction comes from when things go well, I suppose. So, and, and things go well in different areas of, of the year at different times. And, you know, you get tremendous satisfaction. I get tremendous satisfaction from watching um, and helping Sheikh Issa deliver his ambitions of, of in, improving racing in Bahrain. I mean, to see what he's achieved over the last couple of years since becoming the chairman of the REHC, taking you know, the Bahrain International from a, a conditions race in year one um, to three years later, it being a group three, and I'm reliably informed is on the way to becoming a group two with, you know, some of the best trainers in the world coming to support him. Um, has been amazing. And then, you know, to be part of his ambition in improving racing in Bahrain and launching a, a turf series that has been so well received by um, international trainers who came to support him this year. It's been hugely satisfying and, and, and in an incredible environment where, you know, we take for granted, you know, being part of a racing jurisdiction that's been racing for hundreds of years, that it's easy just to, to put on races. Well, you know, the level of thought and, and dedication that needs to go into making sure you've got a, a good racetrack, you've got an appropriate training track, fantastic facilities to to house international horses a wonderful grandstand you know all those things you know take an immense amount of work and time and and thought put into them so you know to be part of of helping him develop that and and hopefully it going the right way is is incredibly satisfying and getting good feedback is great and i think there's a very bright future there um in regard to what happens at home you know, it's, it, it would be childish to say one doesn't get overexcited when you um, produce or buy nice horses and being involved with Harry uh, over the years, buying horses with my father and, and um, you know, recently, you know, going out with Harry and buying horses for him as yearlings and breeze up horses and then turning out to be good horses is has been hugely satisfying. You know, I've watched my 
father by champions and, and group one horses over the years thinking god that must be you know how do you do that how do you consistently buy these you know top class horses and um you know there's an, an element of satisfaction i suppose in a way when one finds that you know you can do it because um there's a lot of horses to choose from out there and there's a, a huge amount of competition so to have you know from harry's perspective horses like thunderous who's a dancy winner and now back um following a, sh- a small injury but back in full work and as an exciting horse for this year with mark johnson is, is a great thrill royal patronage also there with johnson who's probably i think likely to go to the dante um he obviously won the acom last year um and the royal lodge um and he looks like a quite a smart horse but the guineas is not off the table um, and we've got, you know, really exciting horse, Andrew Balding, called Harrow, who won the Weatherby's two-year-old um, race at Doncaster last year, the 200 grand race. And he's now looking like he could potentially um, be a potential French Guineas horse. He goes to the 100 grand um, mile race at Chelmsford in a short while. And we bought a fun filly at the Breeze Ups last year um, at at um, the Craven, she cost us 60 grand. She's called Cachet by acclaim. And she took us to some wonderful races last year. She was placed in the Phillies Mile. She was placed in the Breeders' Cup um, Turf Mile. And, you know, she goes to the Nell Gwyn this year with, you know, potential of going on to be a Guineas filly. So, you know, that's immensely satisfying and it's great fun. But um, like all the areas, there's, there's upsides and downsides. There's, you know, good days on the studs. There's good days on the track and there's good days in the support with with Bahrain but there's also a lot of hard work that goes with it so but it's 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 a coloured and varied a coloured and varied job Nick as you know only too well well thanks to Jake to Peter Maloney David Yates is still with me from the Daily Mirror and David has a tip for you for this afternoon's racing or indeed beyond it's for today's racing it's in the 3.55 race at Market Raisin and it's Cafe Pushkin at number two on the card this horse has had six starts over hurdles thus far. Certainly the two better runs have been on faster ground. He races on what will, I think, be uh, good going by the time that the 3.55 is run. And I think that might well trigger a personal best here, as might going up to two miles and seven furlongs for the first time. So I think we'll see the real Cafe Pushkin. He's the outsider of the sextet at this point, but I'm sure he'll outrun those odds. 3.55 race at market race and selection number two, Cafe Pushkin. Dave, thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. If you do enjoy this podcast, please do give us a rating and give us a review. Tell us what you'd like to hear more of and make sure you tell your friends as well. Uh, We'll be right back tomorrow. That was Tuesday, the 22nd of March. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.